Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that our lives are in your hands. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to live here among us, to live a perfect life, a life we couldn't live, who, who came to die on the cross to pay the penalty that we owed, the penalty of death for our sins. And we thank you today as we continue this series that you do have a plan for our lives and that it is a good plan, a plan that will cause us to live the life that is truly life and to experience that now and forever. We pray, God, for your blessing upon us, that we might be a blessing to others. And we pray that you would open our hearts, that your spirit would speak directly to us and meet us at the point of our need and challenge us to move forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here. And before we get to the message this morning, I want to address one Important thing, obviously, most of us, unless we have been, you know, asleep for the last four days, know that something major happened in Paris um, this week, uh, a terrorist attack, and uh, that's, that's going to happen, you know, around the world. It's going to happen more and more frequently unless people come to realize the truth. And we've been saying here for 14 and a half years as a church that we exist to share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And to do that in truth, the, the truth we believe is found in this book, and in love. And as we think about what happened in Paris, and, and we can you know, roll back the time you know, to 2001, uh, which is the year new life started, which is also the year that, that 9-11 happened. Um, I was thinking of that just as we were, we were singing this morning, because we were scheduled to go on a mission trip to Mexico as a church about four weeks after 9-11 happened. And so there were 35 people were supposed to go, and we all gathered actually at the Dixon home to talk about whether we were still going to go. And our daughter Emmy at the time was seven, and she was scheduled to go on her first mission trip, and she was lying there on the floor coloring in a coloring book, and everybody was talking, all the adults were talking, and then eventually somebody said, Emmy, what do you think? She looked up from her coloring book and she said, well, I think if we're supposed to go on this mission trip, trip, you know, that God wants us to go, then he'll take care of us. That's what I think. Now, that was, a, that was a seven-year-old, and you could say, well, yeah, that's a seven-year-old. And Jesus said, unless we turn and become like little children, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And those of you who know my family know that my daughter Emmy is now 21, almost 22, and she's not walking in those ways right now, but that was the truth then, and it's the truth now. God is always with us, always with us. He was with, with the people in Paris. He's with us here. He's with the people in Cambodia. He's with the people in Africa. He's with the people everywhere. But the thing is, we have to receive him to us, into our lives, through his son Jesus. That's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. We see what the other way, one of the other ways, one of the other ways is violence. You know, I mean, if I say to you either turn to my faith or die, some people would be motivated to turn to that faith. Unless you knew something truer than that. And the truth is, Jesus says, come to me and deny yourself. Die to yourself and serve others. So at the end of our lives, and that's going to happen one of two ways. We're either going to die, because we're all going to die. 
or else Jesus is going to come back, which has always been my preference. You know, he's going to come back when we're still alive. And he's going to say, are you on my side or are you on the other side? There are only two sides. There aren't multiple sides. There are not a hundred ways to the top of the mountain. There's one. Always has been, always will be. And most of the other ways either don't care about this life or they do violence to this life. But the way of Jesus is a way that nurtures this life and says it's important. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, that is the devil, comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you may have life, life in all its abundance, here and now and forever. That's the message that we preach. Now, we haven't always preached that message. I'll admit, go back in history, we've killed people, Christians have killed people. But that wasn't in Jesus' name. Well, we said it was, but it wasn't. That was for our own purposes, and we have to admit that. When we sin, we say we sinned, we did it wrong. And in little ways, we do that a lot, right? Even after we know Jesus. But Jesus has never sinned. And Jesus has never led us to error. And that's why every week here at New Life, when we um, preach the message, the, the message comes from the Word of God. Because we want to give a little portion of the truth every week. And over time, over years of time, over a lifetime, we become more and more like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is something that we have to understand. I love the songs that we sang this morning. And most of them have a common thread. That is, we don't have to be afraid. There are people that wake up afraid every day. And you don't have to wake up afraid ever. John tells us, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Jesus told us, don't worry. Don't worry about today, tomorrow, don't worry. Period. Because you can't, can't change things by worrying. What they both tell us is, focus on the thing that you can control. And that's only one thing, really, you know, your allegiance. You can control your allegiance. Actually, you can control your effort. And you can control your attitude, and so can I. So today we can throw up our hands and go, oh my, our world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? It is. That's the direction the world has been going for 2,000 years. Jesus gave us the antidote 2,000 years ago, and we are called to be men and women of God, children of God. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Those are the kind of things that we don't just sing about on Sunday, but we live in the week ahead. So as we gather here as the people of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have an answer to what's going on out there. People need it. People need to hear about it. People need to see it. People need to experience it. And we are, Martin Luther said, little Christs. We go about our day and people see Jesus at school, people see Jesus at work, people see Jesus out in the community, or they don't, based on whether we take Jesus with us. I mean, he's always with us, but whether we let our light shine or we try to hide it. So that's a very big contextual picture of what we're talking about today, because we've been in this series called The Time of Your Life, right? And what we've been doing is we've been saying that if we want to have the time of our lives, what we need to do is we need to make sure that we go to the Word of God and we order our lives according to these principles, which we have developed seven principles out of, from the Bible. And we say if we live these seven principles, we'll be able to live the time of our lives. It will be the best possible life we can live. And we're in the sixth week of a seven-week series, and we've already talked about rest, and we've talked about prayer, we've talked about physical care, about relationships and study, and today we turn to work. But before we do that, I want to point out something that's obvious. It's, it's been on the bumper video. 
every day that we've had this series, that bumper video has says, there's one thing we all have the same amount, time. We all get 168 hours a week, right? No more, no less. It's 168 hours. That's what we get, 7 times 24. And out of that 168 hours, if we take seriously this um, seven things, and, and actually today's work, next week will be finances, those seven things, we're going to allot time for each, the pursuit of each of those. Rest is a pretty simple one because that's sleep, right? Pretty much. And so if we take, let's say we take seven hours a day to rest, to sleep. I know some need eight, some need nine, some need four or five, but let's just say seven. That's 49 hours, and so if we take 168 minus 49, if you're good at math, you'll know that that's 119 hours, right? So then let's talk about prayer. Let's give an hour a day to prayer, to focusing on God and letting, listening to Him. That would be seven hours, so that's down to 112 hours, right? So then what about physical care? L- let's give an hour a day for that, to take care of our physical bodies. That would bring us down to 105 hours. Then let's talk about uh, what's next at relationships, right? So let's say we would dedicate one hour a day to the most important relationship in our lives. And for me, that would be, God's already covered right under prayer, so that's the hour. That's the closest, closest relationship. But Nancy, so I give her an hour a day, and then two hours a day for all the other relationships of my life, of your life. That would be 21 more hours, and I think that brings us down to 89, 84, I'm sorry, 84 hours. We have 84 hours left in our week. Okay, and, and then what about study? We talked about study last week. You students are going to love this when I say half an hour a day to study. Okay, that would only be three and a half hours, and that would bring us down to 80.5. Now, I just said you're going to love this, but then remember that your work is your studying and your schoolwork, so you're going to have to add a little extra. We'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, so we're down to 80 and a half hours. And, oh, I forgot about eating, right? Eating, showering, taking care of our personal needs, doing our chores. Let's add an extra three hours a day for that. So now it's 21 more hours, so now we're down to 59.5 hours left to work in school. And then you said, but but, but Pastor Chris, you didn't have any time in there for TV. No time in there for Facebook. No time in there for texting. No point in time in there for video games. No time in there for goofing off. Right, there isn't any time in there for that. You can take time away from rest for that, right? You can take away time from prayer for that. You can take away from time from uh, physical care for that. And you, Wait a minute, what about football? What about basketball? What about the well, Steelers are on today, aren't they? What about that? What, what about, you know, you could watch football from 1 o'clock until 10 o'clock tonight, 11 o'clock, I guess it is. What about all that? Well, how many hours are there in a week? 168. What we can do is we can rob from the things that we need to do in order to have the time of our lives, but what we can't do is manufacture more time. So I heard a, a John Maxwell said this one time. He was talking about money, and what he said was, if you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. He was talking about budgeting. We're going to talk about that next week. But, you know, you can do that with time, too. If you don't plan your time, if I don't plan my time, we'll, we'll wake up and go, where did that week go? We, we will wonder where our time went. And last week, as I was talking about study, I quoted from a guy who's not in the Bible named Socrates, who said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Well, I can tell you this about the unexamined life, the unplanned life. If you don't plan your life, if you don't examine your life, if, we, if I don't do that, what's going to happen is somebody's going to do it for us. For example, let's say you go home from church today. Somebody calls you up and say, hey, let's go to the movies tonight. Do you say yes or no? And I don't say it out loud, but, I, but I'm not asking really, are you going to the movies tonight? I'm gonna, I want to know, how do you decide whether you go to the movies tonight? When somebody says, do you want to do anything, how do you decide whether it's yes or no? Do you look at your calendar 
And you go, oh, tonight, that's family time. That's my relationship building time. I can't go to the movies with you tonight. Do you say, oh, tonight, I was actually going to study tonight because I have an important test tomorrow. So I can't go to the movies tonight because that's study time. I can't rob from my study time. Do you say, actually, I had this special event I was going to go to with some friends from church because I wanted to build up my relationship with them and with God. And, and I, I, You see what I'm doing? I'm saying I apparently have a plan that I look to before I say yes or no. Most people don't. Do you realize most people just wake up and go, oh, when are I gonna, oh, I got to go to school today. So you go to school, and after school's over, during school, somebody says, hey, you want to go do this tonight? Sure, why not? Hey, you want to go do that tonight? Sure, why not? Next night, hey, you want to, yeah, okay. Pretty soon, the week's all over, and you look at your little thing, and you go, okay, rest. I had, hmm. Pastor Chris said I should have at least 49. I only had 28. Boy, I'm tired. <laughs> You know, a prayer. Pastor Chris said, you know, seven. Well, that's not, I'm not saying that. I mean, I am saying that would be a good number. But I had, whoa, 35 minutes this week. My relationship isn't growing with the Lord. You see what I'm saying? If we don't plan what we do with our lives, pretty soon it'll be over. And we'll look back and go, I didn't get anything done that mattered. And that's why we're having this series, The Time of Our Life. And today's take-home point answers a very important question, which is how do we make sure that our lives, and we're talking about work, and you'll see that it has to do with work, the take-home point, but it's more than just work. It's more than just school if you're a student. It's the overall plan of your life, and here it is. Plan your work and work your plan, and God's purposes will stand. Plan your work and work your plan, and God's purposes will stand. You see, I know a lot of people who say that work is a necessary evil. They work five days a week so they can do what they want to on the weekends. I know people who work all their lives, 30, 40, 40 years, so that they can retire and do what they want with the rest of their life. I know people who go to school and they say, man, i got to go to school for 12 stinking years. But when I get out, then my life's going to begin. And then some people go, oh, man, I can't even get a job after 12 years. i got to go four more years. And then they go, well, I can't even get a job after 16 years. i got to go four more years. Pretty soon you got 20-some years in college. Or, yeah, you might have 20-some years in college. you got 20-some years of school. And all you've been doing is waiting until that's over so you can get to what's really important. But do you realize something? Work is in the fabric of creation. Work's a good thing. Work isn't a necessary evil. It isn't evil at all. If it's done to God's glory, work was designed into the fabric of creation. Because if you go to Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, and you see what Genesis 1 says, it says, in the beginning God created. He was working. In fact, it says he worked for six days. And after six days, he took a break and rested for a day. Now, he wasn't tired. He rested for a day so we would rest. And that's why he did it. And actually, that screws up your little week planner thing because that's an extra day in there of rest you know so that's probably another eight or ten or twelve hours out of that 59 you had left so now you can only work 50 hours a week but anyway so if you really are serious you know about the things of God you know that work is a natural thing it's a good thing before God created a woman he created a man according to Genesis 2 and he said go to work you're going to take care of the garden so work was established before the family was established that doesn't mean the work is more important than our family that's a lie the world tells us. But work was established, and then God created the woman, then the family was established, and then the man and woman were supposed to work together, and that worked for a little while, but not very long, because along came sin. And when sin came into the world, 
You don't hear about work being a pain until sin comes into the world. And then when sin comes into the world, in Genesis 3, God says to Adam, from now on, work is going to be hard. Remember how you all took care of the garden? There was no weeds in the garden. There were no stones in the garden. Imagine if you could plant a garden and there would be no weeds and no stones. Man, I can grow weeds. But I can't grow the other stuff. In fact, one year, my, uh, this is the truth, one year my weeds were taller than my corn. That's, a bad, that's not a good garden. But if I, had been, if I had been Adam, at least I could have had one corn crop where there was not a stinking weed in the whole place, right? But now there's going to be weeds and it's going to be hard. You're going to sweat. And what about, what about family? Family's going to be hard too. Eve is told by God, you know, you're going to want your husband, but you're going to want to rule over him. And there's going to be this tension and this battling because, you see, families and work are part of the fabric of the good creation God created. A man and a woman come together as a family, and you have work as part of that. And then after sin comes into the world, all of it gets hard. And that's why we wouldn't have to have sermons about this kind of stuff if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, but we have to have it because Adam and Eve did sin. And then sin got into this snowball mode and it's just cresting down over the mountain and it, it crushes all of us unless we learn the truth, unless Jesus becomes part of our lives and we get the Holy Spirit into our lives so we can do the things that God wants us to do according to his plan and purpose. So we can plan our work and work our plan and God's purposes in our lives will stand or else we can do what the world says and we'll never know what that's like to have God's purpose and plan going in our lives. Well, what we're going to do now is we're going to look at four reasons why we work. If you have a good memory, you might remember that about 14 months ago in the summer of 2014, we did a two-week series called Work It. And in that series, we talked about work. And, and this, these eight scriptures we're going to look at today really came from that message. And I thought they were so good that I would say them again because I'll bet you that nobody in the room remembers what all eight of them are. Do any of you remember any of them? Boy, you just made a preacher sad. But, I mean, I know that. I know that tomorrow, unless you write something down today, you're, you're only going to remember 12% of what I said. And that's if you have a good memory. And by the end of the week, it's going to be, and if you don't do something about it, it'll be this much percent, right? But, but that's why we do repeat things here every now and then, because we don't expect you to get it on the first try. And so we're going to look at these four reasons, eight scriptures about why we work. And these are biblical reasons for work. And the first one is paycheck. Say paycheck. All right. Now you say, well, Chris, it can't be, a, it can't be in the Bible that we work for a paycheck. Well, it doesn't say paycheck, but it means paycheck. Here it is. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. And if you have your Bible, you might want to follow along. There's going to be, like I said, eight passages of Scripture. They're all going to be you know, all over the Bible. Uh, and this first one, it sounds a little hard. But Paul started a church in a place called Thessalonica. And so he writes this letter after the church has been established for a while. He's been away for a while. And he says this, Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. So there's this sense in which there's not an entitlement, you know, culture there, right? If you don't get up in the morning and go to work, you don't get to eat. Now, they didn't have gas bills and electric bills and car payments, but they had food bills. And Paul says, if you want to have food to eat, you need to work. If you, wanna, if, you wanna, if you want to have a paycheck, which is a good thing to have a paycheck you got to work. Okay, now, what about the, the paycheck thing? There's, a, there's another reason. You don't just do the paycheck thing for yourself. If you have a family, you want a paycheck so you can meet the needs of your family. And in um, 
1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes these words to Timothy. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Actually, in the Greek, it says worse than a pagan. So, now, I know that that's a hard statement. And some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. You mean if I don't have a job, I'm worse than a pagan? No, 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 no. I don't mean that. I mean that if you... If you have the ability to work, you don't have some kind of physical disability, you don't have some, you know, incapacity that I want to lie. If, if you have not been laid off and can't find another job, if you don't have those things going on, I'm talking to the people who have the ability to work, have a job, work all the time, but you take the money and you don't use it to support your family. That's what Paul's talking about here. If you have meaningful way of employing yourself and of, of earning a paycheck... And you don't use that paycheck. If I don't use my paycheck to help support my family, and notice it says relatives. I mean, I don't know where that, how far that extends, but it says especially your immediate family, right? That you're worse than a pagan. Now, if you're sitting here going, whoa, I've been using the money for, and you can fill in the blank with some not good thing that you've been using the money for, and, that, and you're feeling bad right now, that's called conviction, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins so that we'll do what? Repent, turn away from it, so that we'll come back to God. And so we can stop doing the things that are keeping our family from having their needs met. Now, here's the other thing. It was really cool in the early church, and it should be the same way in the church today. And it is as much as we can here at New Life. But in the early church, when you lost your job because of your faith, the other church people supported you. Let's say you were an idol maker. You know, you made little statues for uh, pagan gods and you became a Christian. Guess what happened? You lost your job. Because you can't be making idols for these other pagans and if you believe that Jesus is God, right? So you don't have, jo you don't have a job. Let's say you work for the Roman government and the Roman government finds out you're a Christian. First of all, they want to kill you, but you definitely lost your job. There are times when because of what we believe, we can't do certain kinds of work. And so we're unemployed for a period of time. And in the early church, what they did was they helped each other. So uh, hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is if you're an able-bodied person who has a job and you're taking your money and using it on things that aren't good, sinful things even, then that's what he's talking about. If you're a Christian and you cannot work or you've lost your job because you've been faithful to God, then the church is supposed to help you out. That's the way it's supposed to be. All right, so paycheck. That's the lowest level. We're sort of going to build a little set of stairs. This is the lowest level paycheck. It's a good thing, but there's a better reason to work. The next reason to work is passion. Could you say passion? All right, passion. Passion is a reason to work. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to look back into the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written by King Solomon. He's the wisest man who ever lived before Jesus came onto the earth. And he said this about work. He said, it's a good thing. To receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This indeed is a gift from God. So you enjoy your work. You have a passion for it. When you wake up in the morning, you go, I get to go to work today. So I have to go to work today. I get to go to work today. And you might be thinking, wait a minute. He said it's a good thing to go to work and make money to get wealthy. And you say, well, I think in the New Testament, God's against that. God's against people being rich. No, he isn't. Now, God did tell a rich young man who came and wanted to, you know, he wanted to go to heaven. And he said, how do I go to heaven? And, and Jesus said, well, you know, sell all your stuff. Give your money to the poor. You'll have rich in heaven and come follow me. And God said, well, I can't do that. I got a lot of stuff. And Jesus didn't say that to everybody. In fact, there was a guy named Zacchaeus 
who was a very rich man, and he got his money by, you know, illegal kind of stuff. He was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And when he got saved, Jesus didn't say, hey, you got to go give all your money to the poor. You'll have riches in heaven. Come follow me. In fact, Zacchaeus said, hey, if I cheated anybody, I'm going to pay him back, and I'm going to give a lot of my stuff away. Jesus said, good job, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus still probably had a lot of money left after all that. And then if you've been coming to New Life for a while, you know we did a series called Congratulations, You're Rich. And we're actually going to use the same scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 6 next week when we talk about finances. And in that scripture, it says, let those who are rich in this world, and the next part of the sentence isn't give it all away. It says, remember, don't rely on your wealth, which is so uncertain. But do what? Use it to do good. Use it to store up treasure in heaven. Help other people. So we, we're going to talk more about that and the two other reasons why we have wealth and why we make money and why we have work. And, and, but right now, our passion for work, sometimes people are good at, some people are good at what they do and some people get paid a lot for doing what they like to do. And the only thing is, whenever that happens, it's not a bad thing unless that becomes our God. So passion. Let's think about another thing. That, and it's another thing that King Solomon said. He said this. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. So do you find satisfaction in your work? I do. <laughs> I love my work. But I know a guy who's 56 years old, and for the last two or three years, he's had this app on his phone that every morning when he wakes up, he goes to it, and it tells him how many days it will be until he's going to be 62. And you know why? Because when he's 62, he can retire. And then when he's 62, he doesn't have to go to the job that he hates anymore. And I asked him, why? Why would you work at a job you hate for all these years? And the short answer, and the, the real answer is, it's safe. Because he, he has good benefits, he has a good income, he's going to have a good retirement, all of those things. But meanwhile, he shows up at work every day, and you know, if you're only working for a paycheck, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, I mean, he supported his family very well. But every day he goes to work, and he, he counts the hours until it's time to quit, and then he counts the time on Friday till it's time to have Saturday and Sunday off. And, and all day long, eight, ten hours a day, five days a week, he hates it. So, hear what I'm saying. Sometimes we have to do stuff we hate for work for a while just to pay the bills. You have to do that sometimes. But if you invest your whole life, I should say spend your whole life, doing what you hate, no passion... You're never going to make a difference to people around you. You're, you're never going to have someone say, you do such a good job. Why do you do such a good job? And then you can say, because I'm working for somebody else. And we're going to talk about that scripture a little bit down the road here. So paycheck, passion. The next reason we can do work is, uh, the, it's, a, you know, it's a fancy sounding word. We've all heard it. Philanthropy. Say Philanthropy. Philanthropy, we, when we hear philanthropy, we think of people giving a lot of money, you know, to build a library or a hospital, school, whatever, like that. But the word philanthropy comes from two Greek words. Philios, which means love. Anthropos, which means person or man. And so when we love other people, we do something about it. That's what philanthropy is. And there's two ways that we show our love for other people. One is by what we do. 
And, and that's the first scripture we're going to look at. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, where it says this. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So, Peter says, you have a spiritual gift. If you're a believer, and I know everybody in the room might not believe in Jesus Christ here, but if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been saved, you know him as your Savior and Lord, then you have a spiritual gift. And he says, use that spiritual gift to serve others, not for yourself. Well, what about our natural gifts and abilities? You see, there are certain people who are naturally good at, at, I mean, lots of different things, sports, working with their hands, Numbers. Some people are naturally good working with numbers. Some people are naturally good with language. All of these different things. There's natural gifts that we have and abilities and skills. Can we use that to serve other people? Of course we can. For example, when I worked at Will's Shell Station in Princeton Junction, New Jersey, a summer job that I had while I was in seminary, I, every day, every day I, would, I had to you know, serve people. I had to, but I, I looked at it as I got to. And it was full service because in New Jersey it's all full service. So check the oil, you know, clean the windshield, um, fill up with gas. And I did that with a smile on my face. And, and people would say to me, what, what do you really do? Because you don't seem like a gas station attendant. And I'd say, I'm not. I'm serving Jesus. You see, that's the thing. If we're serving Jesus by using our abilities, people will eventually know it. Because it doesn't matter if you're a school teacher, you know, if you're a carpenter, if you're a checkout person at, at, a, at a store, whatever you are, you can do that in such a way that people know there's a difference. In fact, I was at the bank. Right here locally, I was in a bank, and I, I actually saw this little post-it note that the teller had, and it said, treat people as you would treat God. And I said to her, I said, I like your post-it note. And, and I don't know if that was a little creeperish kind of thing to do, but, you know, she said, well, thank you. She said, I always try to do that. And, and, I, and I've been going, and before I saw her little sticker, I've had been waiting on her by, many times, and, and she does. So we can love people by, how, by what we do. Now, here's another thing, and this is going to seem like a really weird scripture, talking about work. But um, it, it's in the Bible. I, you know, I can prove it to you. It's in, in fact, I'm, I, I, I've been usually reading out my paper. Ephesians chapter 4. If you would turn there with me. It's in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians um, chapter 4. And it's in verse uh, 28. It says this. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Now, it's sort of interesting that Paul was writing to Christians. He was writing a letter to Christians, and he says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. (laughs) Good advice for Christians, I would say, right? But then he says, instead, put your hands to good hard work and then give generously. Um, We've talked a lot about the over the years here at New Life, there's only two kinds of people. There are takers and givers. Now, where did we get that idea? (laughs) Quite literally, we got it from Ephesians 4.28. What is a thief? A thief is a taker. Literally. Thief takes stuff, right? And then he says, stop being that and become a giver. So we can make money with our work so that we can give it to other people. And just this morning, this three folks came in before worship this morning, and they said, we live in the area, we go to Victory Church, we just moved here a year ago, and we want to help people in our own community. We heard about your food thing you're doing over here. They brought in a whole bunch of food, like all that food right there, they brought that in this morning. They don't go to our church. 
that's philanthropy, right? That's, they, want, they love people, and so they, they have money from their work. They bought the food, and they brought it in here. That's exactly what we're talking about. And I don't, I'm not saying they were thieves to start with. They weren't, probably. I don't get that impression. But, but I got the impression that they're generous people now because they love Jesus. All right, so the next thing. We have paycheck, passion, philanthropy. The last thing is to promote the purposes of God. Say, purposes of God. Is that what it is? Yeah, okay. Purposes of God. I knew it was like that, but I wasn't sure if it was that. But okay, purposes of God. Now, let's look at a couple more scriptures. The very first one is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Again, King Solomon, different book, but same guy. Wisest man who ever lived before Jesus. And he says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. So here's a simple question. Do you... Honor the Lord by giving the best part of everything you produce to him. And you're sitting in here this morning, you go, I go to school, I don't even make any money. Well, guess what the best part of what you produce is? It's your math papers, it's your science projects, it's your whatever you do in school. Do you do it as if you're doing it for the Lord and not for people? That's a very important question. You know, when I go to school and I'm only going to school and doing the, you know, enough to get by so my parents will get off my back, or I do enough to get by so the teacher won't yell at me, or I do enough to get by so I can get to the next grade, or so I can play the sport I want to play. All of those things are legitimate reasons for doing what you do in school. But here's a, here's an amazing reason for doing what you do in school, to promote the purpose of God in your life. Because when you do the very best that you can do, because you're working for God. People notice that eventually. When people are followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus said we would be light and salt in a world. Because the world's dark. We know that. The world is tasteless. And we know that. And the world is, you know, it's sick and putrid and dying. And salt is a preservative. And salt gives flavor. And light dispels darkness. And so, you know, what's true in school is also true at work. We can do work to make money so that we can promote the purposes of God. And if we give the first fruits, in the Old Testament it talked about 10%. In the New Testament, Jesus commended 10%, and really it seems like he thought about more. Generosity is the flavor of the New Testament, that we want to be generous. And when we do that, the work of God moves forward. So, one more thing that I'd like to talk about we started, started with money this time. We make money so we can promote the purposes of God. But our work itself can promote the purposes of God. And we're going to look at Colossians 3, 23 and 24. I quoted it last week. We talked about study. But it says this. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And that the master you are serving is Christ. Work for the Lord, not for people. Why? Because sometimes working for people is no fun. When I was the gas station attendant at Princeton Junction, New Jersey, most of the people were decent people. But, you know, you had those people. They would come in, and it would be a driving rainstorm, and we had a cover over top, you know. And they would pull up with their hood out in the rain. And they would say, hey, check my oil. Say, sure, be glad to check your oil. Back up eight feet. And they'd say, no, no, you have to check my oil. And I said, I know I have to check your oil, but I need to check your oil where I can see over here in the light underneath the cover where it's not wet. And they would say, I'm going to tell your boss if you don't check my oil. I said, well, he went home because I worked the 2 to 10 shift and he was never there in the afternoon. I said, and if you did tell my boss, he would tell you to back up eight feet. <laughs> and, and they would say, well, if you don't back up eight feet, I'm leaving. I'd say, well, have a nice day. You see, sometimes people are like that, aren't they? 
And it's really hard. And I, I would do that in a pleasant way. I wouldn't get mean or upset. But I mean, really, I'm going to stand out in the rain and get soaked to check your oil? I don't think so. I don't think God wants me to do that. I don't think my boss wants me to do that. And I am just ain't going to do that. Right? So in our lives, if we serve others, you, say, you don't have to be a youth pastor. You don't have to be a worship pastor or a lead pastor of a church to have your work promote the purposes of God. Because whatever we do, we can do it for the Lord, and when we do our work, whatever our work is, one, only one little, I guess you'd have to say stipulation. It has to be work that glorifies God. You can't work at sin and, and do it to the glory of God. You can't. Neither can I. We can't. But any work that we can do that will honor God. My mother used to say, I don't care if you grow up to be a ditch digger, just be the best ditch digger you could be. And I've dug ditches. When I was doing carpentry work, and I'll tell you what, my ditches were 28 inches deep if they were supposed to be 28, 32 if they were supposed to be 32, 36 if they were supposed to be 36. I didn't like those ones very much. And I didn't understand why I was using a shovel when they had this thing called backhoes. But anyway, you do what you're called to do if you're following Jesus and that's serving the purposes of God. And as we think about all of these things, paycheck and passion and philanthropy and purposes of God, if we will do these things people will notice. And, and that's the, been the point of this whole series is, is that our lives will be wonderful if we do the things that God wants. And when I say wonderful, I don't mean easy. I don't mean simple. Well, I guess I do mean simple. I don't mean easy. But I, I mean that we will, at the end of the day, when we go to bed and we lie there and we go, huh, today I, 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 I prayed. I, I took time with God. Today, Today I spent time with my family. Today I worked hard. I did my schoolwork the best that I could do. I did all of these things. And I feel pretty good. And you rest easier at night when those are things going on in your life, you know? Now, here's the thing that I want us all to understand. If we're going to have a higher view of work, if we're going to have a higher view of school, we have to think about it from God's perspective, not from the human perspective. Because out there in the world, they're going to tell us, you know, for example, whenever you go to work and you work really hard and the boss goes on a break or goes on vacation or whatever, you know, somebody next to you is going to go, why are you working so hard? The boss isn't here. And I always would say, yes, he is. Some of you will get that on the way home. But, you know, the boss is always here. If God is our boss, right, he's always here. So it doesn't matter if the boss is here or not, he's here. And, and when we start to think about it from God's perspective, what happens is we understand that what the number one thing is, that we're here to honor God and glorify Him, bring glory to Him in our lives. And that means that we probably want to choose a work that fits us. It's not going to be a perfect fit. There's no perfect job. I love this job, but it isn't perfect. And you probably love your job. Maybe I hope you love your job, but it isn't perfect. There's these little issues. There's always the person that wants you to check his oil while his hood's out in the rain, right? There's always that person. But those people who choose to live their whole life and work just for a paycheck, it's a long life when that's all you're working for. And when you work for a paycheck and then you add passion to it, it makes life a little shorter and a little easier. And then when you add philanthropy to it, then you start to feel good and you go, wow, you know what, I get my paycheck this week and I can't wait because I'm going to give some stuff to, you know, to help these people that need to have uh, food for their Thanksgiving. I'm going to help some people to have a nice Christmas this year. I'm going to help my family. And I feel good when I do all those things. And you do too. In fact, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's fun to receive, but it's way more fun when you just get that right gift and the person opens up and, you go, and they go, oh, this is what I really wanted. And you go, yes. 
right? It feels much more fun to give the right thing than to get something. But if we put our eyes like to looking at things the way God looks at them, our life becomes the life that we've always wanted. And so here's today's commitment. I will work as to the Lord this week. Imagine the difference that's going to make. When you go to school on, is this Sunday? Yeah. When you go to school on tomorrow, um, I'm sorry, I, I, I like every day. But anyway, so it could have been Saturday night. Uh, it, when you go to school tomorrow and you say, you know, you go in and let, if you haven't been doing this and all of a sudden you do the best that you can do in every class, your teachers are going to go, you know, and they might even call your mom and dad go, hey, what's going on with Susie? I mean, she's, she's been a decent student, but man, she's killing it. You know, you go to work tomorrow and your boss is going to say, do you have a twin? You know, because your brother isn't that good of a worker, but you're really something, you know. And, And all of a sudden, everybody, the level of everybody's life goes up. You know, your boss and your teacher and your parents and your children and everybody, it gets better. And that's the goal. So as we go out today, we have we have a choice to make. We can plan our work and work our plan so God's purposes will stand. Or we can just drift like a log in a river. And a log in a river doesn't get to choose where it ends up. But if you work your plan, plan your work and work your plan for God's purposes, you're going to end up somewhere really, really good. Right? So let's get to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us meaningful, purposeful work to do. God, I thank you that as your children, we don't work because we have to, but we get to. It's part of your plan for us, and it makes us into the children and the the adults that you created us to be. God, I pray for anyone who doesn't have a job that wants one today, that you will work in their life to bring a job to them. I pray, God, for somebody that's just getting a paycheck today but really wants to have more than that, and that that, that you'll change the attitude of their heart and, and maybe change the location of their work. God, I pray for every student in this room. I pray that you'd let each of them know the joy of doing uh, their work as unto you and giving the first fruits to you. God, we pray today for anyone in this room who has not yet trusted you as Savior and Lord, that each one would say right now today, I I want a Savior. I want to be saved from sin and death. I want to have that new life that that Pastor Chris has been talking about. And and God, I pray that that each person who's in that boat would understand that that means having a Lord, meaning master and one who we work for and not for people or anybody else. God, I pray today for that person in the room this morning who needs to make that, take that step of faith and say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and Lord. For the rest of us, God, I pray that you will be glorified in our lives this week by all that we think, say, and do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.